Amen. Well, good morning, church. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 5, if you want to turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 5. If anybody needs a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Keep your hand up. They'll come hunt you down. Also, guys, Wednesday night's been awesome. Pastor David's been teaching, and, and Josh has been teaching. It's been really, really good, so I encourage you guys to come out to that. I love it, because it's good time for me to sit and be fed. So, 6.30 Wednesday nights. And we do have child care and nursery, so bring the kids. We've got stuff for the kids to do outside, and we'll feed your kids. So, that's good stuff. So, 1 Timothy chapter 5, say amen if you're there. Okay, let's begin by reading the Word. Verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that today you'll be just showing us some good practical, sound advice for us, Lord God, as believers, how to treat people. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would ready our hearts and, Lord, transform us into the image of you, Lord God, that we would be like you so much that people would look at us and see you in us. We ask that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great portion of Scripture here. Um, as we look at this scripture, we see uh, chapter 5 and 6 are dealing with people. And chapter 5 is how, how are we supposed to deal with people in the church. Chapter 6 is how are we supposed to deal with people that aren't in church. How do we deal with unbelievers? So good practical instruction. So today we're going to be looking at how to treat men and women in the church and we're going to be focusing on widows. So our purpose is to share the gospel. That's what we're here for. We were created for His good pleasure. He saved us, but He not only saved us, but He gave us something to do. And Jesus has called every one of you into the ministry. You are all in ministry, whether you think you are or not. And we're to share the love of God. We're to tell our testimonies. We're to uh, give the word out to people in hopes that they would receive Jesus too. That's what we're called to do. And God has strategically put every one of you in a certain position in life, whatever career it might be, you that career, but you also are to be an ambassador of Christ to share the gospel wherever you're at, at the workplace. If you have an a employer that allows you to share the gospel at work, praise God. But if you have an employer that doesn't allow you to share the gospel at work, then honor that because you got hired by him to do a job but on your times off your breaks your lunch breaks you can share the gospel with people and so God puts you in these unique situations to share the gospel and to get the good news out so as we're thinking about talking about how do we deal with people in the church how do we deal with people out of the church the unbelievers it really all boils down to love you know, last week we talked about love, how much God loves us. And we can't even grasp His love. We really can't. 
And, and, and we can't grasp heaven either. I, I don't think, I mean, we've got our ideas of heaven. We know it's going to be better than this, but we really don't know how great it's really going to be as He reveals His grace to us throughout eternity and His love for us. Oh man, I can't wait. But meanwhile, we got a job to do down here. And God wants us to act a certain way towards each other. He wants us to act a certain way towards the unbeliever. But it all boils down to love. Love the Lord God with all, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's all summed up in love. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? I'll give you another shot at that. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Yeah. Okay, we'll work on you guys. We are to have love for the lost. We are to have a love for the brethren. We are to have a love for the, our children and love for one another. And that can only happen when we love God supremely. When God is first in your life, all that's going to fall right into place. It'll be so easy to love. Because why? Because He's forgiven me so much. There's not a person here that needs the blood of Jesus more than someone else. And everybody here that knows Jesus Christ has received God's love in such a magnitude that it's overwhelming to us. And He wants us to love one another. This world's getting really crazy. So much so that you know we think, wow, man, this is just like the nuttiest it ever was. But I'll tell you what, it was pretty nutty in Paul's day. In Paul's day, they were murdering Christians. The emperor Nero was a psycho. He was torturing Christians, having them killed by the, um, what do you call those guys? The gladiators and feeding them to the lions and, and wrapping them with tar wrapping cloth and lighting them on fire to illuminate his garden parties. It was crazy back then. And it's crazy now. But I'll tell you what, the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more you're able to keep your joy. The more you're able to love the more you're able to reach out to others in love and to have the right attitude, to have a peace that passes all understanding that no matter what we see going on in today's world, we know whom we believe in and that He's able to keep that which we've committed to Him. And we know where we're going, that we're pilgrims passing through and we won't be here much longer. And that gives me peace. That gives me joy. That gives me strength. And that gives me love. To share love with others. So important for us. We need to express our faith and our love and our dedication to God to our children. That's why we pray for our children up here in the front. This is the next generation coming up. And they need to know But by having Jesus Christ as the head of their life, they can have that love and that joy and that peace like we do. Because they're facing a crazy world too. But they don't have to lose their joy. You have, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we put our trust in Him, you can keep that joy. And we need to be telling our children that. We need to just be expressing how much God loves them. You need to be talking to your children and praying over your children and asking God to reveal to you what He's going to do with your kids so you can pray over them and anoint them. Encourage them. 
give them strength and hope because Jesus is our hope. He's our blessed hope. And I'm so grateful for what He's done for me. And so He starts to talk to us in chapter 5 on how to deal with people in the church. Because you know what? We need a little help. Even Christians have arguments with Christians. They have, you know, disagreements. Next thing you know, two people don't like each other and one will sit over on this side and one will sit on that side or go to a different service. But that's not how it should be. We should settle our differences. We should, we should have such a love for each other that if one of us messes up, that we go to them in love like Jesus goes to us. Like the Holy Spirit goes to us. I always say that when you have to talk to somebody about something they've done wrong, approach them the same way you would want to be approached. Because so many times I see folks going off on people and just attacking verbally, and it's so wrong. It's not this church, it's other churches I'm talking about right now. But it's wrong. And if you would stop and think, if I was in this situation, how would I want somebody to come to me? In love, but in love and in truth. It's so important. So he says in verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. And younger women as sisters with all purity. So he's saying this to Timothy because Timothy is relatively a young man. He's probably in his late 30s at this point. um, Considered young. That's why uh, Paul said, don't let anybody despise you because of your youth. You've got an anointing on you. You were prayed over. God is using you. And he's helping Timothy because Timothy is an overseer of the church of Ephesus, which was a number of fellowships. And sometimes, you know, you have a church that's full of uh, people that are older than the pastor, and they don't like it when someone younger comes up and says, hey, you're doing this wrong. What you're doing is sin. You need to get this thing right. And so he encourages Timothy as he encourages us that there's going to be times that you're going to have to exhort, encourage, correct someone, a man that's older than you. And he says you want to do that by treating him as if he was your father. How would you approach your father? See, that word there, do not rebuke, it's a, it's a gnarly word. It's like, it's like a vicious physical attack, a vicious verbal attack. It's like somebody just going off on somebody and screaming at them. I know you guys have never heard anything like that before, but that happens. And he says, don't do that. But he says, instead, exhort him as a father. Encourage him as a father. Because it's not easy. Have you ever had to correct your parent? Dad, I love you, but that's just wrong. And you need to change that. That's the way he says you need to do it. It's uncomfortable because no parent wants to be corrected by their child. No older person wants to get a rebuke from someone younger than them. But I always think about how God comes to me. He just whispers in my ear and he says, Steve, that was wrong. Can you get that right, please? 
So he says, encourage them to exhort them like fathers. And then he says, younger men as brothers. Now he's saying this to Timothy because, you know, you, you know, if Timothy is dealing with younger men in the church and he comes up with an attitude like, hey, I'm the pastor and you, never, you need to listen to me. Well, they're going to re- they're going to pull back. And so he says, hey, don't don't like try to act like you're dominating over them. Don't act like you know it all. Don't act like you're better than them. But just come to him like, hey, brother, I see what you're going through. And I want to be there to help you get through it. And get you back on your feet with with Jesus. We want to be an encouragement for one another. And then he says. To treat the older women as mothers. Wow. Mom. I love you. But the way you're acting is wrong. If you come in with that gentle attitude and a loving attitude bringing truth you'll walk away from that and that mother will say to herself you know it must have been really hard for him to come to tell me that and i appreciate the way he handled that and i respect that because you did it in love and then he says to timothy treat the younger women as sisters with all purity why do you throw that in there Because like any church, there's single people. I heard one pastor talk about um, church is church. You come to learn the Word of God. You don't come to meet people, meet a, a spouse. You don't come to find someone to marry. I'm kind of like, this is the best place to find someone to get married to, right? I mean, at least you know that we're on the same page. But he, he gives us a warning to do it with all purity. Because sometimes men can have a wrong thought or wrong intentions meeting a young girl in the church. Right? Got really quiet in here. You know, I know you Christian boys and you young men, you're looking for the right woman, and I know that you're going to wait till you're married to have sex. I get all that. But he's he's telling us to to watch out and have purity when you're around him. Don't say dirty jokes or little innuendos. You know, I know know you young kids, you got all the smooth moves, you got all the, the right sayings, you know, you run into a girl in church and you're like, oh my gosh. I've died and gone to heaven because I'm looking at an angel. And, and she goes, oh. And then she says, what's your name? My name's Will. God's will. <laughs> right? I, I really can't think of a better place to meet someone. And I can't tell you all the countless relationships that have just come together here in this church from people being in church i mean it's better than anywhere else you're going to go but he wants it done in the right way with all purity and then he says in verse three honor widows who are really widows but if a widow has children or grandchildren king james is nephews 
because they didn't have in the Greek a, na- a word for grandchildren. So it really says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety or kindness at the home and to repay their parents for this is good and acceptable before God. It's only right for us to take care of our family. It's only right for us to take care of the widows in our family. He says, honor widows who are really widows. What does that mean? Like, make sure her husband's dead? Or does that mean bring all the widows up on stage and we all clap for them and honor them? No, it's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that honor widows who are really widows, meaning they're women who have lost their husband and they have no family to take care of them. They have no children. They have no grandchildren. They have no nieces or nephews. They have no cousins. They don't have anybody to take care of them. This is good sound instruction because we're called to help people. But he's, he's going to tell us which widows to help. It's just so we wouldn't make a mistake. Because, you know, the church is here to help people. And Galatians tells us that we're to help those in need, especially the household of faith. So we have an obligation to help those in the church. But if we can help others outside of the church, we want to do that as much as we can. But we need to understand that the church financially can't help everybody, but we need to focus on the church first and then we can go out and help others. And you know what? This little church certainly has done that. I can't tell you how many times I've just so appreciated you guys coming together to help those in a disaster, in a time of trouble, loss of a loved one, a hurricane, a flooding, pulling together, Uh, helping people fix their homes, get them back into order. People that aren't even believers, but we're sharing the gospel and sharing the love of God with those as we help them. And we do it out of love, not asking for anything. And so we're supposed to help one another. We have an obligation to do that. So he says in context here, help those widows who have no one else in um in acts chapter 6 we see this happening in the church because what we see throughout history in the time that jesus did ministry and before that is that if you were a widow with no one you usually end up dying in the streets. And it really was the church that began to take care of the widows, the orphans, the abandoned children, because there was another practice in this day that if you had an unwinded child, they would just leave the child on the ground and take off. And the child would be uh, you know, eaten by animals, or just die from starvation and exposure to the sun. And it was really tragic. And early historians record that it was the Christian women that were collecting up these children and raising them. And so 
we see a great move of the Spirit of God helping people right in the early church. And in chapter 6 of the book of Acts, it says, Now in those days when the number of disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve, speaking of the apostles, they summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. He's talking about deacons. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so we see right early in the church, they were taking care of the widows. They were providing for their needs. And that's what we're called to do. In Deuteronomy 10.18, it says, He that administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 14.29, And the stranger and the fatherless and the widows who are within your gates, Allow them that they may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So there's a blessing in it for those who help those in need. In verse 5 he says, Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. So she's a godly woman. She's committed to the Lord. She's known for a prayer life. She prays and intercedes for others night and day. Don't you just love people like that? You know, i got to tell you, women are really the prayer warriors in a church. I'm not saying that you men, you don't pray, but I'll tell you what, when we have a prayer meeting, it's mostly women. And they're praying without ceasing because they realize that things get done when we get on our knees. Things get done when we cry out to the Father and we put Him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Sometimes we go after all the things and then we have some spare time. We throw something out to Jesus. We got it all backwards. We got to seek Him first in everything that we do. And he answers prayers. And I so appreciate the women of this church that pray. I so appreciate the elder women and the widows that pray. I so appreciate when a woman in the church will come up and say, I've been praying for you this morning for the message. Or they'll lay their hands on me and just say, let me pray for you before you give the message. I so covet that. I'm so blessed by so many women in my life that have prayed for me my wife prayed for me non-stop that I would get saved and then she prayed do something with them we had a woman in our family who we called mammy amazing woman Proverbs 31 woman she um, she she grew up in the Costa Mesa church, the tent days and beyond, and 
prison ministry. She did women's prison ministry, but she had this little group of old ladies, 70 and 80-year-olds, that would just pray. Every week, they'd get together and pray. And the crazy thing was, she was so sweet to me. She loved me unconditionally. She never said anything mean to me, even though she knew everything that I was doing wrong. She knew my past. She knew my present. She knew my failures. She knew all of my sin. And she never once talked mean to me. She just told me how much she loves me and that she's praying for me. And that really impacted me. And she says, there's a little group of ladies. We meet at Costa Mesa every week. We're praying for you. I was like full guilt trip, like, oh. But those prayers work. Because one day, one evening, down in Hanalei, I got saved at Pine Trees. And I remember that when I told her, because I was really excited. I wanted to tell her, because she'd been praying. And I told her, I go, I got saved. She was so excited. She was just so blown away. And she went and told all the ladies that she prayed with, and they were all just freaking out. And then they just started focusing their prayers on, Lord, do something with them. And she would say, we're all praying that God's going to do great things. And when I became a pastor, she almost had a heart attack. (laughs) She goes, this is so amazing. She went and told all her girlfriends they were praising God and rejoicing. She's like, I am so happy. She was so stoked. She said to me, she says, you know, I'm putting $5,000 in the bank for when I die, You're going to use that money to fly over to do my celebration. Because she was so stoked that God answers prayer. Older women in the church should be full of love and joy and peace. Older women in the church should be an encouragement to others, laying hands on children, laying hands on the people of God, serving These are the attributes of a godly woman. To love, to pray, to serve, to encourage, to build up. I think of the Proverbs 31 woman in Proverbs 31.28. It talks about her family, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and praises her. And so if she becomes a widow, a godly woman with nobody, We need to take care of her. There should be a softness and a beauty to an older woman. It's so sad when you see a woman who's older and she's vile, foul-mouthed, walking in sin, always criticizing, not encouraging. There's nothing worse than a dirty old woman. Well, I guess a dirty old man, but... But you know what I'm saying. There should be something that happens in a woman and a man when they get older. That there should be a softness and a gentleness. Should be God's Spirit resting on them and be an expression of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6 it says, But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Oftentimes what happens is when a woman becomes a widow 
Or even when a woman who's a Christian ends up in a divorce, many times what happens is they go the wrong direction. They start going back to the world. And he warns against that by saying that those that live in pleasure are dead while they live. We can't go back to the world. Now, I don't need a show of hands, but has anybody ever backslidden? You know, you know what's funny about backsliding? Like, the very thing you left because it was horrible, that somehow you're a Christian, you're living for Jesus, you start thinking, well, you know, remember the good old days? They weren't good old days. And you think about the wildness you did and the fun and the excitement, but you forgot about all the other junk that came along with it. And it's always weird when I see a believer on fire for Jesus go back to the world, back to the drugs, back to the sexual immorality, back to the alcohol, drunkenness, disorderly conduct, as if that was fun. But you know what? The great thing about being born again and being saved and having the Holy Spirit in you is that you can't go back to the world and enjoy it. Because you got too much Jesus in you. And you can't show up to church because you got too much of the world in you. You feel guilty. So come home running. Confess your sins before the Lord and He's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Get back to that relationship with Jesus. It's the sweetest thing around. Don't go back to the vomit. He says in verse 7, and these things command that they may be blameless that doesn't mean perfect. It's just somebody that's living the best that they can. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. So you have a widow in your family. And she has family. She has children. She has grandchildren. And he says, and if none of them will take care of her, they're worse than an infidel. An unbeliever. Shame on them. We've seen that over the years. And we'll step in and help that person. But that's sad. We're supposed to be a reflection of Jesus Christ and we need to love our family and take care of our family. Now, he's not saying that if you have like say your mom's a widow. Um, he's not saying like maybe you don't maybe you don't financially you can't take care of mom, and you're looking for a job. He, he's not saying this to that person. If you're someone that has a widow in your family and you want to take care of them, but you just you don't have the finances, you're you're looking for work. That's a different story. He's talking about those who have the ability to take care of a family member, but they just don't want to. Shame on them. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus has been talking to the religious leaders, and 
just correcting them. They were a bunch of scoundrels, money-grabbing thieves, extorting the people of money, destroying widows, taking their houses and things. But there was this one thing that the Pharisees set up that was a loophole. Because the Bible says to honor your father and your mother. It's a commandment of the Lord. The first commandment that came with a promise of long life. Because in those days, if a child was rebellious and wouldn't listen, they would take that child out and all the elders would stone him. Can you imagine doing that today? That seems a little radical, doesn't it? But I bet you what? I bet kids were a little more respectful. Right? Better watch your mouth. Take you outside. Make another one looks just like you. So that's why that promise for long life came in there. Because God wanted respect in the family. And it's so sad today that we see so many kids disrespect their parents, curse at them, do vile things, won't obey, and it's shameful. And you know what those kids need? They need Jesus. They need to be transformed. They need to live for the Lord. But there was this thing that the religious leaders came up with to get more money. So the Bible says to honor your father and your mother. And if a parent came to their children and said, we need your help. We can't, we can't make our payments. We don't have food. The religious leaders set up this thing they called Corbin. And basically, that relieved you from taking care of your family. So if, let's say I had a lot of money, but I wanted to spend all my money, and I didn't want to take care of mom and dad because they were kind of a burden, and I'd rather spend the money on me than them, uh, then I could say, um, Corbin, I'm, devo I'm devoting all my money to the temple, and so uh, when mom and dad come and ask for help, I go, oh, I can't give you any money because all my money is going to the temple, but I get to use my money right now until I die, but everything I have goes to them, so I can't share it with you. And it was a loophole to get out of taking care of their parents. Sad. We're to honor our parents and take care of them. In verse 9 he says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. And not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieve the afflicted if she has diligently followed every good work. So now we're seeing some more qualifications here to follow. Make sure they're widows that are really widows indeed, that they don't have any family. Make sure you take care of them. And that they do good deeds. And now he's saying, don't take in widows that are under 60. Because they still got a lot of life. And they probably still have families that can take care of them. And so he says, here's some of the qualifications of the ones that you're taking in. They're well reported for good works. They got a good reputation. They're kind. 
They're loving and they're giving. If she's brought up children, she's the husband of one, she's the wife of one husband, one man. That means she was devoted to her marriage before he died. She didn't cheat. She was faithful, well reported for good works. She brought up children. She raised her children in the ways of the Lord. She lodged strangers, which means she she was kind to strangers. She was outgoing and loving towards people she didn't know, those in need. She washed the saints' feet. What does that mean? That means she served in the church. She was someone that was known for serving. She relieved the afflicted. She visited those who were sick, those who were in the hospital. She was always there when someone was hurt. And she diligently followed after every good work. Wow. That is an amazing woman right there. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, but refused the younger widows. Okay, so now we're, we're getting some guidelines here. Refuse the younger widows. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they'll desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. So he tells us, Take care of widows over 60. Make sure they're godly. He says, refuse younger widows because what's going to happen is they're going to grow wanton. What's wanton mean? That's King James. Um, How do I say this? She's going to get horny. That's probably not a good word, but that's what it is. You guys are really shocked I just said that, huh? (laughs) She's going to grow wanton for sexual... Let's just move on. See, see what happens a lot of times is that you'll have a, a woman, she becomes a widow, and... What he's talking about here is she's going to make a vow. She's going to say, Lord, I give my life to you. I'm not going to marry again. I'm going to be committed to the church, do the things that we just read about. I'm going to be that kind of a woman. I'm never going to get married again. I'm I'm married to you, and I make this vow, and I'm going to live for you. But she's only 26. And Paul knows, and God knows, that she may go a few years without being married, but she's going to start desiring, wanting. And and then she's going to make a mistake. And she's going to feel condemned. And we've seen that kind of thing happen before. She's a widow. She's lonely. She needs someone. And she falls into a relationship she shouldn't be into, and she falls into sexual sin, and she feels condemned. Now, it's also talking about, let's say, a widow that makes this commitment to God, makes a vow, I'm going to live for you, I'm not going to get married anymore. Um, But then she finds someone in the church that she's really starting to care about. 
And that's okay. And she does the right thing. He does the right thing. They don't have sexual relations until they're married. But she's still going to feel condemned because why? Because she broke her vow with God saying, I'm not going to marry and I'm going to live for you. We've got to be very careful of the vows we make with God. God will hold us to our word. And so he's saying for the younger ones, don't, 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 don't encourage him to make these vows. I'm not going to get married. I'm going to live for you, Jesus, because he knows they're going to have desires. He'll know that they're going to want to get married again and possibly have children. And, and he, he just knows this. So this is good, sound instruction. So he says, refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow. Uh, be, be, refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ. They desire to marry, having condemnation because they've cast off their faith, their first faith, their commitment. And besides, here's some other things. Here's what will happen. Besides, they will learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. That's good sound instruction. See, if you have a widow that's young and she's being taken care of by the church. She doesn't have to go get a job. She's going to be sitting around all day. And the old saying, idle hands is the devil's workshop. And so she's going to be sitting around. Next thing you know, she's watching soap opera. She's on Instagram. She's social media all day long. She starts going from house to house, tattling on everybody, busybody, gossiping, getting into people's stuff, causing trouble, stirring up division. He says, don't do that. And so there's a good strong warning why he says refuse the younger widows. He says, therefore desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their house, give no opportunity to the advisor, the adversary to speak reproachfully. They don't get married, have a family, and don't give anybody any reason to talk bad about Jesus because of you. For some have already turned aside after Satan. Wow. So he gives us this good, sound instruction for taking care of widows. That widows need to be over 60. They need not to have anybody who can take care of them. They need to be godly women. So it's not like he's saying that, you know, like you got a woman and she's like thinking to herself, man, I'm over 60. I better pull it together and act like a Christian so the church can take care of me. He's not saying that. He's, he's, look, he's saying take care of the widows that approve themselves to be faithful to God, able to do good works constantly, reaching out, kind to strangers, helping the sick and the needy and the afflicted, being there, prayer warriors, constantly serving in the church and serving others. And then our last verse for the day. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened. 
that it may relieve those who are really widows. That's good stuff. So knowing that Paul knowing and God knowing that the church can't take care of everybody, that the church doesn't have enough resources to take care of everybody, he says to men and women, take care of your own widows so we can relieve the burden from the church so they can actually take care of the widows that are in need. I'll close with this. James says in James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's good. It says pure and undefiled religion. I thought we weren't a religion. We're not a religion. We're a relationship. Religion is man's attempt to right himself with God. We can't do that. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a relationship. We can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good works to be saved. Jesus died on the cross for us so we could put our trust in Him that He finished the work on the cross, paid for our sins, and we give our life to Him and we're saved by faith. It's the grace of God. So then why is He saying pure and undefiled religion? Why is He mentioning the word religion? In other words, He's saying your actions, though you're not saved by your works, though you're not saved by your actions, He says pure and undefiled actions before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And that's good instructions. Amen? Father, we thank You for Your Word and we just pray that uh, Lord, that we could be examples of what we looked at today. Father, thank you um, for giving us the ability to help those in need. And Lord, um, we just pray right now if there's someone here that doesn't know you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, Pray this in your heart. Father, I believe you sent your Son for me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead. And I come to you now asking for forgiveness for my sin. And ask to receive you as my Lord and Savior. Save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, just lift up your hand. Today is the day of your salvation. And Father, help us as your people. Help us to grow in love towards one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.